Welcome back to the Amazing Maine podcast, the unofficial podcast of Maine's culture, history, people, and places, and anything else that you and I find interesting about the amazing state of Maine. Please visit our website at AmazingMainePodcast.com. There you will find episode announcements, blog posts, and you can subscribe so that you never miss anything about the podcast. You'll also find links to all of our social media accounts in the upper right corner. Please follow and like on all those accounts. And if you would, please share this podcast with someone you think that might like it. A quick word about our sponsor, Gerardo Screen Printing. You can find them at J-A-R-A-T-O, Gerardo.com. They are a family-run, small Maine business that operates right here in my hometown of Andover, Maine. If you need any kind of screen printing, embroidery, or promotional products for your church, your kid's school, your sports team, doesn't matter what it is, they've even done shirts for my podcast, you can get it at Gerardo. You don't need to be in Maine. They ship everywhere. They even have clients that are surf shops in Hawaii. So please give them a look. Once again, it's at gerato.com. That's J-A-R-A-T-O.com. And you can also find a link to their website on my website. If you listened to the podcast last winter, you know that around this time I spoke with Mike Grass at the Maine Snowmobile Association, and I had a few minutes to speak with him the other day about the 2021 season and what it means for snowmobiling in Maine. The 2021 season started off, obviously, with COVID. Last fall, the MSA was unable to have our 2020 MSA snowmobile show in Augusta, so we, along with all of the clubs, lost a lot of our big fundraisers, so it's been tough on all the clubs this season to raise that money that they desperately need. We uh, actually came up with another fundraiser for the clubs, and it's the MSA Virtual Snowcross Race. Uh, it's been going on since roughly January 1st. And that'll be wrapping up uh, February 28th. So if any of your listeners still have time, they can they can log in to the virtual race at mesnow.givesmart and donate to their favorite racer slash club. And that will push their racer to the finish line. We've already got a couple clubs that have surpassed their uh, estimation of their goal. We're doing quite well. I believe the total is close to $17,000 that's been raised so far. Most of the areas of the state, now that we're halfway through February, have snow and riding. The only exception might be the immediate coastline. But most places have grooming and trails are in decent shape. We could use more snow. But Roostick County has plenty. They're grooming all their trails on a normal grooming schedule. Rangeley and areas up towards Eustis and Jackman, they're grooming on a regular basis. The Millinocket, Greenville, Milo, Brownville, Lincoln areas all through the Central Highlands doing well on snow and they're all grooming. So things are right at not a screech pace, but they're on a good pace for this winter and the amount of snow we've got. We can't complain. We finally got some snow. It took a while to get enough, but things are going well at this point. And just to inform the listeners, that money that those clubs so desperately need, a lot of that does go to grooming and keeping the trails open for everybody, right? It sure does. And the state reimburses the clubs after they've spent the money. Basically, they need to raise that money during the summer and fall months. And 
basically spend it and then they get reimbursed by the state that's kind of how the grant system works so without the bean suppers the spaghetti suppers and quilting raffles and all those things where they get together and try to raise some money that just hasn't happened with covid because of the the regulations and things most clubs have been shut down we do a super raffle every year and we really thought that was going to be off because a lot of the clubs are sell tickets at like fairs and events similar to fairs and those didn't happen this year either those were all canceled so we really expected a drop there but clubs dug in and and figured out that that was going to be one of their few fundraisers so they did quite well and we came pretty close to matching our numbers from last year so it was a great effort by all the clubs to to sell those and get some income in this unnormal year uh, riders can go to mesnow.com and then trail conditions. Uh, we do have some on there. The the ones we do have are the clubs that are sending them to us and we repost them. They can uh, also join us in Aroostook County on March 13th in Limestone. We're going to be having a showcase ride, which is where some guides basically from the northern part of the state will lead us on a tour of that region to kind of showcase some of the attractions and trails and things like that and it's usually a pretty good time and we have a meeting and a meal after to wrap it all up a lot of the clubs are doing events similar to what they've done in the past they're just trying to do them with some covid restrictions to to meet the, the guidelines and raise money still i know uh, last weekend i think the podunk club over in dixfield had the blessing of the sleds which is always a big event and was well attended this year. I believe they had record numbers. So, you know, snowmobiling's getting through the COVID so far, and hopefully we'll be out of COVID soon and we can all return to normal. Thank you, Mike, for that update. Be safe out there, everyone. On this episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking about Make-A-Wish Maine, which is the main chapter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Before we do that, a few quick facts about nonprofits in Maine. There's roughly about 6,000 nonprofits in the state of Maine, and of those, about 2,500 or so are tax-exempt 501c3 organizations. These organizations put about 100,000 jobs into the state and over $5 billion in wages paid. That's pretty huge. They also mobilize over 400,000 volunteers annually in the state of Maine for a variety of different things, from beach cleanups to work projects. It's a pretty amazing set of organizations. Many thanks to the Maine Association of Nonprofits, who gave me those statistics. So on to this episode's topic. I had a chance to speak with Lainey Geistwalker at Make-A-Wish Maine. She is the Wish and Volunteer Coordinator at Make-A-Wish Maine, and she told me all about what this incredible organization does for critically ill children in the state of Maine. Lanny, thanks so much for joining me on the Amazing Maine podcast. What is the mission of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and how did it get started in Maine? 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. Our mission is together we create life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses. And so really what we're trying to do is create a wish experience and grant a wish to a child that is impactful and meaningful to them. And typically, you know, our kiddos, they're going through a lot. So, you know, having something to imagine and think about and, you know, kind of dream about to help propel them forward during, you know, whatever part of their medical journey they're in is really important to us. Us and it really is at you know the core of what we do. So our national organization was founded in Arizona in 1980, and basically what happened was the community rallied together around this young boy named Chris Grecius who wanted to be a police officer. And so after his wish was granted, the community came together and said, "This was." an absolutely wonderful thing to be able to do for this child, an impactful thing to do for the community, and a way for the community to be able to come together and feel like they're making an impact. And so from there, they founded Make-A-Wish America. And then after that, different chapters started to pop up all across the United States. So our chapter was actually founded in 1992 by Wayne and Caroline Morong in Camden, Maine. They had seen wish stories of other wishes being granted in other states and thought, you know, let's bring this to Maine. Why not? Let's do that here. And so the first grant wish we ever granted here in Maine was a wish to Robbie and he wished for an ATV. So a very Maine wish to have as our first wish granted. We are a chapter of seven staff members and we grant wishes. All of the wishes that we grant are here in Maine to Maine kids. So we're serving Maine kids from the bottom of York County to the top of Aristic County. And of course, we're a staff of seven based out of Scarborough, Maine. So the way that we're able to reach all these wish kids and all of their families is through the 160 wish granting volunteers that we have. So we have about 230 volunteers statewide that assist us in our mission, but 160 of them or what we call wish granters who are working in pairs and we partner them with our wish families to guide them through the wish process. So that really helps us be able to expand our reach to all of the families here in Maine, have a very diverse amount of volunteers that have unique special interests, unique backgrounds that they bring to the wish granting process and they bring to the to the mission and also community relationships that they've built. So the volunteers are truly, you know, the backbone of our organization and help us really create the unique wish experiences that we're looking for. And so in order for us to be able to grant these wishes, of course, we do do fundraising. So we receive our funding from individual donors, corporations, grants, trusts, foundations and in-kind partnerships. You know, we have partnerships with vendors locally and nationally. So locally, we're working with construction companies, landscaping companies, playset companies, things like that. And then on a national level, um, we have partnerships with hot tub vendors or Disney World, as, as many people know. So we rely heavily on those partnerships to be able to create these experiences and, and be sustainable as a chapter and, and reach all of the wish kids that would qualify for a wish. But it's also, you know, a major part of where our donations are coming from are actually individual donors. So community members that were inspired by our mission. When we were founded, Chris Gracious was terminally ill. And when we were founded, you know, leukemia was kind of a death sentence in terms of a diagnosis, but treatment has come so far, you know, as far as leukemia goes specifically. But yes, when we were originally founded, it was just for terminally ill children. Then in 1999, nationally, we made the switch and opened it up to children with life-threatening conditions. And so the majority of our kids 
do live on and lead happy, healthy lives. Obviously, we do grant wishes to children who are terminally ill. And sometimes that requires, you know, depending on what the timeline is, that requires an all hands on deck situation where staff has to come together, put everything else aside, you know, that they were doing and come together to get this wish granted as soon as possible. So there are situations like that. And they're, of course, very difficult for us to face and and work through. But majority of our wishes are to kiddos who are going to lead happy, healthy lives. How does Make-A-Wish Maine accomplish their mission? So essentially what the wish process looks like, so we can start from the beginning. So when a family or a parent um, or a medical team, you know, identifies a child that might qualify for a wish, they reach out to our chapter and we begin the referral process. So we can receive referrals from family members, parents or guardians, social workers or medical teams. And essentially they reach out to the office and begin a conversation of this is who my child is, or this is who the child is. This is what's going on with them medically, and we take them through the eligibility process to see whether or not they might qualify for a wish. When they qualify for a wish, I reach out to them. So I'm the wish and volunteer coordinator here at Make-A-Wish Maine. I reach out to them and I do what we call a welcome call and I confirm that the family's in a good place to move forward with the process. Um, And typically they are, but we always just want to make sure because they have so much going on and so much on their plates. We really want to make sure that they're ready to embark on this journey. And from there, kind of we welcome them into the Make-A-Wish family and we assign those wish granting volunteers. So the wish granting volunteers really are boots on the ground and an extension of the office. And they're the ones meeting with our families. They fill out paperwork with them, but they also lead them through wish discovery. So talking to the wish child, learning more about what their special interests are, what's most meaningful to them and their life, and also talking with the families and the siblings so that they're included as well in this journey. And then really getting down to the bones of, you know, what is your greatest wish? With the wish granters, the wish kids determine three great wishes. You know, what what are the three greatest wishes I could possibly have? And then those get brought back to the office for an approval process. So the first is to look at our policies and procedures and see, you know, what does the wish package look like? And um, is that a type of wish that we grant? You know, we don't grant wishes for firearms, which seems kind of obvious, but needs to be said in Maine since we like hunting here. Um, (laughs) But so that's the, the first step in the approval process. But the second step is reaching out to the medical team and having them sign off, say that saying that the wish is medically appropriate. We always want to make sure that, you know, we're granting safe wishes and and making sure the timing of the wish is right. Um, and that we are aware of any medical considerations that might come into play, depending on what the wish choice is. And then from there, we grant the wish. And along that process, you know, our wish granters plan some fun surprises. So they plan a fun way to surprise the family and the child with the news that the wish is going to be granted. Um, We have wish parties to celebrate the wishes. The wish granters also send, you know, different gifts to the family to keep them engaged while we're planning the wish. So the office is coordinating everything behind the scenes. And then we eventually do the big wish reveal. And and whether it's a gift wish or a travel wish, you know, we we love to celebrate that. And and like I said, you know, have as many surprises along the way so that it can be an impactful and a wonderful experience for the family. 
We've definitely had to make a lot of shifts and changes to our wish granting process because of the pandemic. Of course, we're working with an immunocompromised population and the safety of our wish families prior to the pandemic was always number one for us. So even more so now being in the pandemic. And so what that's kind of looked like is, you know, taking a step back from travel wishes for now. And those wishes were some of the wishes that we were granting the most. And instead, looking at other wishes we can grant. So gift wishes, whether that's she sheds, playhouses, play sets, pools, shopping sprees, wishes like that. And we're actually able to continue to grant those wishes in a safe way. So even though it kind of felt like everything in the world went on pause for a little bit in the pandemic, we understood that our mission is still critical for our families and that the impact is still important, especially in these times of isolation and that we needed to figure out how can we creatively approach this and and figure out how to continue to deliver our mission. And so we've been able to do that by, you know, working with a medical advisor who's a local pediatric oncologist here in Southern Maine to establish a safety protocol that all of our staff and volunteers follow and our vendors follow. And also transitioning our wish process so that our volunteers meet virtually with our wish kiddos rather than face-to-face meetings. So really looking to minimize risk as much as we can. And truthfully, it's been such a humbling experience to see how community members and how volunteers and how we as a staff have been able to embrace this challenge and continue to forge onwards, you know, always knowing and being guided by the light of our mission and knowing that it's very important and that Regardless of what happens, we're, we're going to continue charging onwards. How many wishes has Make-A-Wish Maine fulfilled? Over the last 29 years, we've actually granted over 1,600 wishes to kids here in Maine, which is really amazing. So on average, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were granting around 75 wishes per year, which comes out to an average of about a wish every five days. Now, you know, we're not granting a wish every five days. Some months there are multiple wishes in a week or multiple wishes throughout that month. And then other months are lighter. Of course, you know, in Maine, we're working with seasonality. So there are certain wishes that we you know, no pool wishes in the winter. But on average, we were granting a wish every five days. But since the pandemic hit, our goal is 50 wishes this year. And we really feel confident that we're going to be able to reach that goal. So that's that's how many wishes, you know, we've granted and what our goal is. But I think something that's important to also call out is that our wish granting volunteers that are working closely with our wish families and helping us grant these wishes, it takes them about 25 hours per wish on average. So this year, that means we're engaging, you know, a minimum of 100 volunteers since there's two volunteers per wish family for around 2,500 volunteer hours in total. Now, that all being said, we have around 106 wish kids in our pipeline at different stages within the wish process. So even though, you know, 100 volunteers are granting those 50 wishes this year, we're engaging many volunteers far beyond that. So I always like to point that out because they are such an important part to our wish process and to the wish journey and are truly, you know, a huge reason as to why we're able to grant this many wishes each year. What wishes have stood out either as unique, meaningful, or they're just great stories? Yeah, so that's a great question. I like to say, even though we grant multiple wishes of the same wish type, so for example, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were granting a lot of Disney wishes. 
each wish and each family and each child is so unique and the reason for that wish and the kind of impact that wish is going to have on them is so different. And so while I'm going to talk about some different wish types, I do think it's important to also remember that regardless of how many of the same wishes we grant over and over again, each of them is going to mean something completely different and also look different depending on who that child is and what they love most in life. So some fun ones that I love to talk about. So we grant wishes for room redos and this wish child wanted a room redo for a McDonald's parking lot. He loved going through the drive through at McDonald's. And so he said, I want my room to be like the McDonald's parking lot. And so our Make-A-Wish team came in and we fulfilled that wish. We made sure that his room looked like a McDonald's parking lot. He had parking spots for each of his pieces of equipment. So he had a parking spot for his wheelchair. And he also had a drive through window that he could drive by and take orders at. So that was definitely one of the more unique wishes we've granted. Um, one of the more recent ones we've granted that I thought was really special, a wish child wanted to, originally she had wanted wanted to go to Disney, but um, being that it's not safe for that to happen now, they wanted to kind of discover and think about something that could happen sooner. And so she thought, why not bring the princess castle at Disney to her house? And so she wished for a pink castle playhouse. And we have this wonderful photo of her. Um, You can see it on our social media. She is sitting, you know, on, it was a kind of a frozen themed playhouse. She is sitting on the rain reindeer from Frozen right in front of her castle and she just looks like the most beautiful princess but that was certainly another one that was um, super precious and and meaningful to witness. Um, Another one I want to talk about that is a Disney wish. This child, you know, and kind of speaks to what I'm saying about each wish kid and um, wish journey being so unique is this child wished to go to Disney. And we heard from her grandparents that at different points throughout her medical journey, when things were getting really difficult, when she was in the hospital for difficult procedures and long hospital stays, she would always check in with her grandparents and ask, are we still going to be able to go to Disney? And they were able to say yes. And so knowing that, that we are able to have that impact and we are able to provide that bright spot, that piece of conversation, that thing to look forward to during the some of the darkest days for our kiddos, that is, you know, everything we could possibly want um, to provide and to be able to be a part of. So definitely wanted to share just the true impact of the wish in that case. Another one that we granted recently was a wish to have a Shih Tzu puppy. And this wish kiddo, he, um, the way that we delivered his wish was we did a big car parade. It was after the pandemic hit. So we were making sure that everything was socially distanced um, and safe. And so as all of these people are passing by in this car parade, he, he turns to his mom and he says, I didn't know so many people cared about me. And I think that is just such a beautiful testament to the ability of our organization to be able to rally the community in a way that makes them feel like they can make a difference and to actually be able to make 
a difference for that child and have him realize how much love out there there is for him and and how much support. Another one that I would love to share also is We've been doing a lot of pop-up camper wishes recently because a lot of families want to be, you know, out camping, spending time with one another in the great outdoors in Maine. And we actually granted one as far back as 1999 to a wish child who is three years old. And and they were hoping to be able to have the pop-up camper for many years and be able to, you know, use it as a family to go on camping trips, to create memories together. And about a year ago, I heard from this wish kid and she wanted to volunteer. So 20 years later, hearing from this wish kid saying that she wanted to volunteer, saying that they still had the pop-up camper in their family and use it to this day. So I really think, you know, that story especially speaks to how long the impact of a wish can be and, and, you know, how our families and how our wish kids will be able to continue to use that wish throughout their lives to continue to create memories and continue to have a positive impact on their lives. Those are incredible stories. I can honestly say I never expected to hear about a McDonald's parking lot in a bedroom <laughs> as a wish. That is, that totally caught me off guard. Uh, yeah. I, just that's that's incredible and to hear that people are coming back and that they're still using the wish or they still remember it that must be incredibly meaningful for the staff at Make-A-Wish Maine. It absolutely is you know we we put our heart and soul into these wishes and I think our volunteers I actually know our volunteers do as well so when we hear from families many years later about you know the impact and how long lasting it was for them it just feels so good you know we we don't we don't question you know coming into work every day there's we always know why we are here and the importance of what we do. But when that happens, it just is so affirming and validating and just really pushes us to continue onwards and continue doing what we do. How can someone reach Make-A-Wish Maine either to donate, volunteer, or submit a wish? Great question. So uh, the best way to reach us, I would say, is to go to our website, which is main, M-A-I-N-E, dot wish dot org. And that way you can find there's a button to donate there. You can also find me, Lainey Geistwalker, and my contact information if you are interested in volunteering so I can get you set up with an application and begin um, that application process. And you'll also find a tab that is titled refer a child and that would be you know if you're a medical professional um, a social worker or a family member that might think that you know a child very closely that may qualify for a wish so i would say our website is the best place for you to go but you can also find us on instagram at make a wish maine you can also find us on facebook make a wish maine as well what an incredible organization a big thank you to Lainey for her time, but also to everyone else at Make-A-Wish Maine, all of the volunteers, everyone that donates. You're doing incredible work, and you're really, obviously, as you can tell from Lainey's passion for this organization, you are really doing something amazing in all of these children's lives and their families' lives as well. So again, thanks to Lainey for her time. Thank you to Mike at the Maine Snowmobile Association. Again, thank you to the Maine Association of Nonprofits. You'll be able to find links to all of these organizations and groups in the show notes. And remember, head on over to that website, AmazingMainPodcast.com, our social media accounts, and please share. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Stay tuned after the closing for another podcast recommendation.
Okay, here's your latest podcast recommendation. If you are thinking of starting your own podcast or you already have one and you want to improve it, I would recommend The School of Podcasting. It's hosted by Dave Jackson, who has been podcasting since 2005, when podcasting was very different than what it is now. Dave focuses a lot on technique. Technique in editing your audio, technique in interviewing someone, and I'm trying to put a lot of his recommendations into practice so I can improve this podcast. Dave also talks about tech. Everybody loves the tech, but as Dave will tell you, the tech is great, but if your content isn't good, it doesn't matter how good the tech is. He also talks about things like podcast monetization. He talks a lot about growing your audience. And he has some pretty interesting bits that he does on a regular basis, like because of my podcast stories, where podcasters can write in or call in and talk about things that happened because of their podcast, people they met or lives they changed, some pretty amazing stories. He also has a recurring segment called The Question of the Month, which I've even called in for, and he asks podcasters or aspiring podcasters to talk about specific open-ended topics and give their opinions so you can get some really good pointers. Dave also is a professional podcasting coach, so you can listen to his podcast and hear him advertise those services as well. I've never done them myself, but you never know. It may happen someday, and probably if I was going to get a podcasting coach, he'd be the first person I'd go to. He hasn't paid me to say that. I just really enjoy his podcast, and I really do think he's making a difference on this one. Thanks again for listening. I will see you in the next episode.